0: amen i'll invite you to turn your bibles to first kings chapter 2 i want to get to the book of proverbs that i want to set uh, uh, set the stage for it if if that's all right i want to get the context of the things that we'll uh, uh, read over in the book of proverbs first kings chapter 2 verse 1 now the days of david drew nigh that he should die and he charged solomon his son saying i go the way of all the earth be thou strong therefore and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Now folks, I want you to compare verse 3 with Joshua 1.8. You remember when Joshua was taking over at the direction of the Lord, was taking over as the leader of the children of Israel. Moses is going off of the scene, or really already has gone off the scene at this point. And God gives Joshua very specific instruction for success. He says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night to observe to do all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. David's put that in practice in his life. And he's instructing or imploring Solomon. To do the same thing in his place. Verse 4. That the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me. Saying if thy children take heed to their way. To walk before me in truth with all their heart. And with all their soul. There shall not fail thee said he. A man on the throne of Israel. Now I want you to look with me to chapter 3. We'll fast forward. The rest of uh, chapter 2 was uh, David giving. Solomon instruction on people that had betrayed him and how to deal with them and what to do about them and so forth. But in chapter 3 let's start reading in verse 3. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. You remember there was no temple until Solomon had one built. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Folks, that's staggering, a staggering amount. There's only one altar. How many burnt offerings can you put on the altar at one time? This is something that took a great deal of time, and it was a show of Solomon's honor toward the Lord just to undertake something like that. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, By night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee, and thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou shalt hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, And I am but a little child. I know not how to go in or to come out, or go out and come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing, and God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for yourself long life, neither has asked riches for yourself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for self-under asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like, before- like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all of his servants David is known as the man after God's own heart and he's imparted something to Solomon now you remember the circumstances of Solomon's birth David saw Bathsheba on the rooftop in a compromising situation and he called for her, brought her to the palace had sex with her And then went about, after finding out she was pregnant, went about trying to kill her husband who was off fighting his battles. Battles for the children of Israel. The baby died. Even though he prayed earnestly, David was crying out to the Lord. And certainly it wasn't the baby's fault. And so he was imploring the Lord to cause the baby to be well. It's the only prayer that we've got in the Bible that wasn't answered. It's the only one out of all the scripture that the Bible doesn't tell us that God heard and answered. But the baby died. David loved Bathsheba, the Bible says. Went and unto her again. She got pregnant again and had Solomon. And God, demonstrating how he turns even the most terrible situations into something for good, chose Solomon to be the the king that would succeed David. Now Solomon did good for a while, but the Bible says that uh, his heart was turned by his wives unto other gods. 2 Kings chapter 11, I think it is, says that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So he knew something about women. But he didn't take heed to what God told him. And so later in his life, he wound up turning away from God, and things got really messed up. Now You know that the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the first couple of verses of the, of the, the book, it says that they were the Proverbs of Solomon. The Bible says that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. He authored 3,000 proverbs and he authored 1,005 songs. This was a guy that started off with God like no other that we have an example of except Jesus. Jesus identified himself as wiser than Solomon. And that's what I really want to talk to you about tonight is the wisdom of God. Now, you would think to Solomon, with his relationship with his father David, seeing all the wonderful things that God did for David, saw how he walked before the Lord according to his commandments. It even identifies that he walked in righteousness. Well, we know that can't mean that he never messed up. Adultery and murder is pretty bad on the list of sins. But God didn't hold it against him. He repented and God didn't hold it against him. So what about Solomon's son? Look with me to chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. Solomon is going the way of his father. And he leaves his son Rehoboam. To be king in his stead. Now in chapter 12 of 1 Kings. The Bible tells us that Rehoboam was approached on on the day that he was crowned or his coronation, however you'd say it. The people came before him, and they wanted to know what kind of king he was going to be. And so he said, give me three days and come back and assemble before me again, and I'll declare to you what kind of king I'm going to be. So, the old men he consulted with, the ones that were advisors for his father, these were Solomon's advisors, they advised him to lighten up on the people because Solomon, in the great glory of Israel during the 40 years which he reigned, it took a toll on the people. You may remember when the people first called out for a king, God declared through Samuel, to tell the people you really don't want a king because a king will take your sons and daughters in service to run the kingdom God originally intended and planned for the people just to serve him he would be their king and his prophets would be spokesman, God's spokesman to the people but they wanted a king like everybody else had a king and so they were willing to forfeit whatever Parts of their families, their family lives I'm talking about, to serve the king. Well, that was amplified many fold during Solomon's reign. And so the older counselors that he heard from said, you need to lighten up on the people. If you'll serve them, and by serving them, they were talking about being easier reducing the taxes and the burdens and so forth on the people because everybody was commanded to give a certain amount of what they had to keep the palace going and the government in place and they said the counselor said if you'll lighten up on the people and serve them and speak good words to them they'll follow you just like they did your father but then there were young people that were counselors too people that the bible says rehoboam grew up with and they advised him to be harder on the people make the taxes harder or higher make the price that they had to pay greater and he listened to the young people those young people when they get together stupidity is multiplied many fold And you're going to find that, well, let me finish the story of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, in telling the people that he was going to be harder in every way than his father was. And the people refused to obey him. The people refused to have him as their king. So that was the point that the nation of of Israel was divided. Rehoboam became the king of Judah. And ten tribes went north with Jeroboam, who was a a soldier, leader in the army. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that wisdom is not necessarily passed down from generation to generation. David had the wisdom of God because of his relationship with God. He put that first. The man after God's own heart is what he's called. Well, that certainly identifies to us the priority that he placed on his relationship with God, at least it does to me. And then it tells us about Solomon, how that Solomon had enough of his father in him to seek for wisdom so that he could be a good king and serve the people. And as a result, God gave him the things that he didn't ask for, riches and honor and long life and the things that go along with it. Rehoboam comes into this thinking that he can and will do whatever he wants to do and as a result the kingdom was divided wisdom was not passed down and the wisdom of God is not passed down from generation to generation now let's start in Proverbs chapter 1 Proverbs chapter 1 verse 1 the Proverbs of Solomon the son of David king of Israel folks these are Proverbs that Solomon wrote specifically to his son and for his son the Holy Ghost saved us a record of it so that we could partake of the wisdom of God too if we so desire but these were the things that that Solomon taught his son that didn't stick He didn't heed the, take heed to the instruction of his father, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Here's the purpose: to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Solomon is trying to impart the wisdom that he got from God. When God asked him what he would have, or what he wanted God to give him, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtly to the simple subtlety, to the simple to young men, knowledge and discretion. This word subtlety is used several times, and it, it literally means trickery, but in a good way. It's talking about good plans, not evil plans. Plans not to take advantage of people, but to understand how the world works. We mentioned Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 a couple of minutes ago. The Bible says that if we speak the word of God and meditate Meditate in the word, keep it in our hearts, put it in practice in our lives that we make our way prosperous and have good success. That phrase, have good success, is translated in some other translations other than the King James. It's translated, deal wisely in the affairs of life. Well, that's what this subtlety is it's the ability to deal wisely in the affairs of life, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. That just means hidden secrets. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. Rehoboam didn't do that. He rejected that utterly. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Now the Bible tells us a little bit about Solomon's reign. And one of the things that it tells us was that the nation of Israel enjoyed their greatest prosperity even till today. The Bible tells us about all the the riches that Solomon had. It tells us that the silver was so abundant that it was just piled up in the backyard of the palace that nobody even counted it because it was a lesser value than gold, for example. Well, this is what Rehoboam grew up in. This is what Rehoboam apparently thought he was entitled to. And so whatever it was, whatever the circumstances of his upbringing were, he came away not with an appreciation for his father or the God that led him. But instead, he decided that he was going to do things to serve himself. It's interesting to me that the book of Proverbs starts off talking about the, the attitudes that we should have. The book of Proverbs is, um, is something that really caught my attention when I started going to Bible school long 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 time ago because i came to the understanding and this was just through daily bible reading courses and that kind of thing different schedules that i used over the years i came to realize that the bible was saying that you can through the proverbs the book of proverbs come to the place where you have the wisdom of god now i knew that the bible said other things about the wisdom of god for example Not all earthly wisdom is the wisdom of God. Another thing is that there is no wisdom or counsel against God. So it all depends and hangs on his word. And so I began to incorporate speaking, reading, speaking, memorizing, and so forth concerning the the book of Proverbs. And to be real honest with you, I was amazed at what a change it started making in me. There was a time where they called me Mr. Proverb. Because I there was so many things, so many situations that would arise that somebody would be talking about that one of the scriptures in Proverbs just completely fit. And it surprised me. Didn't just surprise other people, it surprised me. God wants us to have wisdom. Now the Bible says that Jesus is made unto us wisdom. First Corinthians chapter one and verse 30 says that jesus is made unto us wisdom but then it also tells us in james chapter one that if we're in the middle of a difficulty or a fight or trouble or uh travail or whatever it might be adversity it says if we lack wisdom that we could ask god for it in faith in other words believing you receive before you recognize it and that he would give it to us so if we put those two together christ is made unto us wisdom the wisdom of god is available from the hearts of each and every one of his children but then also we can expect God to give us wisdom that we don't have in the middle of a fight now folks the wisdom of God in many respects may be the most important thing that there is in our Christian life and it's all based on the word verse 10 my son if sinners entice thee consent thou not first thing Solomon starts talking about or the way that the Holy Ghost saved it for us in Proverbs chapter 1 the first thing that he talks about concerning the wisdom and the application of wisdom is the people that you associate with my son if sinners entice you consent thou not it's especially true for our our children but I don't think that makes it less true for us We always need to be aware of who we're hanging around with. There's an old saying, and I don't know who to credit it to, but somebody once said, show me your associates and I'll show you your future. So first and foremost, Solomon starts by talking about how important it is to stay with the right people and stay away from the wrong people. If if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave, and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us, and let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. He's talking about his son and those that apply the word should be smart or will be smart enough to see the snare that other people don't see. In other words, no matter what generation, no matter what people, no matter what country, no matter what time period, the same things are going to come against us. The children in Solomon's day had the same temptations as young people do in our day. And that will always be the case. So many times people say, and usually there's people that don't know what the Bible does say, but they'll say, well, the Bible's not relevant to today. I don't understand how somebody that has any level of intelligence whatsoever or any experience with God or His Word could possibly think that the Bible is not relevant. It's relevant to every day. It's relevant to every situation. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain. Which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Two things that he makes mention of. The first two things he makes mention of is wrong associations and being greedy of gain. He identifies those two things first and foremost. Later on in the book of Proverbs, it says, those that that make haste to be rich shall not be innocent. So he's talking about your attitude toward people and your attitude toward money and, and or things. And that's what he starts with. Wisdom crieth without. She utters her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. In the openings of the gates in the city, she utters her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? The word simple is the word foolish. How long will the fools follow after their foolishness? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Now notice it says in verse 20 that wisdom cries without. She utters her voice in the streets. This wisdom that Solomon is providing for his son and also for us because of the record that we have of the Holy Ghost that wisdom is available for the marketplace it's not some kind of wisdom that we just use in church as we section off this little part of our lives together it's talking about the wisdom of God in dealing with the affairs of life it's talking about the ability to have an unfair advantage Because the life of God is on the inside of us. It's not just for church. It's not just for reading the word. It's for every aspect of our lives. God wants to be involved in the minor minor details of our lives if we'll let him. And of course the way we let him is by acting on the word. Verse 23, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. I want you to realize that wisdom is not just a spare tire when your tire goes flat. It's not some escape mechanism that's to be used only when we get ourselves into, into trouble that we can't get ourselves out of. A part of wisdom is to understand and recognize that there are consequences for the things that we do. We talked about David and Bathsheba, his sin with Bathsheba and the the child that it produced. David agonized over that child's life. He prayed and sought God more earnestly than anybody in his family or in the palace had ever seen him pray for But there was a consequence for the things that he did. And the consequence in that situation was the death of that child. We live in a day where people think that there shouldn't be any consequences for anything and everything they do. Wisdom disagrees. When your fear comes, verse 27 When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. There comes a point. Several things here are important. Notice it talks about seeking him early, seeking wisdom early well after you remember in Numbers chapter 13 where the 12 spies go into Israel or into the promised land I should say 10 of them come back with an evil report 2 of them Caleb and Joshua said God's on our side we can do it we can take the land the Bible tells us that after the congregation sided in with the 10 spies and wept all that night and said they couldn't do it they couldn't take the land they bemoaned their fate or what they saw their fate to be And then God answered them and said to Moses, tell the people that I will deal with them as they have spoken in my ears. Well, the things that they spoke in the ears of God was, it'd be better for us to die in the wilderness. And so God tells Moses, tell the people that they'll wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Tell the people that because they rejected me, this is the consequence. Well, when the people heard that, they wanted to change it when the people heard how long it was going to be and what the extent of the consequences were, they wanted to change it. And they came to Moses. There was a band of them that came to Moses. And they said, we're ready to go now. We'll go out against them in in the morning. Pray for us that God helps us. And Moses said, don't go. God's not on your side. You've already shown your unbelief and lack of faith in, in him. The enemy will rout you. They'll destroy you. But they didn't believe Moses in that either. They went out against their enemies in the promised land the next day. And it happened just like Moses said. Many of them were killed and they were chased off by their enemies. Folks, when people start hurting enough, they want to change. But sometimes you can't change the circumstances. Sometimes the circumstances are the consequence of our eyes wide open Choosing against God. That's what the children of Israel did. Here is talking about the same thing. When fear comes, when desolation and destruction comes, a lot of people want a quick fix for that. A lot of people want to get you or me or anybody else to pray for them to try to escape the difficulty and the trouble that they brought on themselves. And that's not always possible. There are times where God in his mercy will take somebody out of the situation they're in in a miraculous way but there are more more times and more situations that I am aware of or have had experience with where it's only after the consequences is suffered or endured that's when God will step in to help them rebuild then shall they call upon me but I will not answer they shall seek me early but they shall not find me For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. I'm not sure when during the 40 years that Solomon reigned I'm not sure when these proverbs were written whether they were all written at one time or over a series a period of time, several years perhaps we don't really have any information that's uh, reliable to form an opinion but here where Solomon says the prosperity of fools shall destroy them that's what happened to him later in his life when he allowed his wives to turn his heart away from God and he began operating in idol worship and offering sacrifices to false gods setting up groves and high places for these false gods to be worshipped that's exactly what he did why did he do that here's a man with the greatest wisdom of anybody on the face of the earth until Jesus came along why did he do that he didn't pay attention to who he was hanging around with. He didn't follow his own advice. And as a result, that was a great part of his life toward the, his last days. Now, we understand that he came back to the Lord. But there were some terrible years. Years that were lost for God and for the kingdom of Israel because of his, his choices. Chapter 2. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding, yea, if notice if, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now that's the very thing that they, the people he's referring to, that were uh, uh, being destroyed. That's the very thing that they started to do. But they passed their opportunity, missed their opportunity to build wisdom and the knowledge of God in their lives. I've got to tell you, folks, I'm not sure how to how to consider how the Lord looks on the church. We think of terms, think think of things in terms of saved and unsaved. Well, Israel didn't have any saved or unsaved to be concerned with. For Israel, it was just simply a matter of choosing wisdom or choosing foolishness. Accepting the word of God and living by it or rejecting the word of God and suffering the consequences. And so we can't say that the wisdom of God is a saved versus unsaved situation or condition. It can be and it should be. But not every Christian is going to choose the fear of the Lord They're not going to choose to seek after wisdom. They may not even recognize the importance of it, depending on what church they go to or who they're listening to preach. Those are associations too. For the Lord giveth wisdom, verse 6, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler or a shield to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the path of judgment and preserves the way of his saints. Now, the next verse goes back to the ifs of verses 3 and 4. If thou criest after knowledge and lifted up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure, verse 9, then thou shalt understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant unto your soul, Discretion shall preserve thee and understanding shall keep thee. Verse 12 goes back to the ifs. If we seek the Lord early and put the word first place. Verse 12, to deliver, here's the purpose for it, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man and from the man that speaketh forward things, who leave the paths of right of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the forwardness of the wicked whose ways are crooked, and they froward in their paths. Verse 16 is another result of searching after wisdom, first and foremost, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flatters with her words, which forsakes the guide of her, of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. That thou mayest walk in the ways of good men. Here's the result again of the ifs. That thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Now when we see things like that, where the wicked are rooted out of the earth and and destruction coming on the wicked, it's easy for us to, to identify and um and and see that as the the difference between the saved and the unsaved and i'm not saying that we shouldn't that's certainly true but there's a lot of the modern day church that lives as separated from god and his word as the unsaved do i'm not sure how god looks at that i'm not sure what distinction he makes remember in john chapter 8 Jesus said to those that believed on him, the Bible makes a point of saying many of the Jews, talking about the religious leaders, many of the Jews and the priests believed on Jesus. And then Jesus said to those that believed in him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. He he saw a difference and made a distinction between people that believed in him and people that continued in his word. Well, wouldn't that same distinction apply today? Wouldn't that same distinction be made, or couldn't it be made, between people that are saved and people that are really pursuing God through His Word? Have disciples, and the ways disciples are made, has that changed somehow over the years? Well, if it hadn't, we've got the same distinction now that they had back then. Jesus knew that there were a lot of people that believed in Him, But we're too busy with their lives to go further. Folks, there's got to be a place and a way for that to show up at the end of the world. There's got to be a way for that to show up. I know some of you are watching with great interest the things that are going on in in, uh, uh, government. With the impeachment that was voted on today and all that kind of stuff. The craziness that's taking place. One of the things that I found the most striking and, to be honest with you, offensive, was the statement, and it's been made several times now, by the Speaker of the House of Representatives talking about how prayerfully she's considering what to do on this impeachment stuff. Well, I don't know who she's praying to because it's pretty clear what God would have done I guess she's praying just as earnestly and just as somberly about her stand on murder of innocent children, unborn children. Folks, I don't know. I've only lived for as long as I've been here. But I have never throughout my life, nor in in reading and history and things that I've studied, I've never seen a time where people are so quickly... Glamming on to the title of Christian for the sake of political expediency we're being told by some of the people that are planning to run for president or are running for president whether they'll make it to the end or not we don't know they're talking about how that Christians should embrace homosexuality well the only problem we have with that is that the Bible says that it's not of God the Bible calls it sin now I know that makes us bigots Makes me. I won't put you in the category. I know that makes me intolerant. But folks. What one generation tolerates. The next generation embraces. And that's always the case. Paul wrote to the church. I think it was the church in uh, Corinth. And he talked about evil and wickedness that was in the church he talked about some people that were preaching Jesus for wrong motives some even preaching Jesus to add to his discomfort and his difficulties in prison and persecution that that was um, part of his life and his ministry and so forth he talked about offenses and he said offenses must come and I don't remember exactly the way that it was phrased, but he said offenses must come in the last day to show what's right and to show where God really is. We seem to be living that. And as a result, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but I don't think there's ever been a time where we needed the wisdom of God more than we do now. Because there are more and more things, more and more people, more and more situations that are trying to identify with God for political purposes. And if we don't know God for ourselves, and the only way you can really know God is through His Word, there's a lot of Christians that have, through the years, been sucked in to the devil's plan and have supported the devil's plan just simply because they didn't know God. They've been led by politics instead of by the word of God. I can't see that getting better and better. Seems to me that it's getting worse. What's going to break that cycle? The only thing that could possibly break it is the wisdom of God. It's not political debate that's going to make the difference. Well, what should we do? One thing I've been impressed to do is pray for spiritual hunger. Pray for people to get hungry for God. I, I can't tell you. I can't adequately, I can't put it into words. The difference and the change that just hearing a simple message in faith made in my life. I was saved when I was young. I always knew God was inside of me. I always knew that he was with me. I'd talk to him. he had talked some to me. But when I found out the word of God was an instrument given by God to live a successful life. Not only to defeat the things that the devil brings against us in life. But also to take hold of the goodness of God through the things Jesus paid the price for. When I found those things, it changed my life. It changed everything about me. And coming to the understanding that meditating in the word, speaking the word. Believing no matter what it looks like or feels like, but believing the Word of God is true. That altered the course of my life like nothing else has or could. Now, if you'd asked me beforehand, was I hungry for God, I wouldn't even have even known what that was. But when I got a taste of the Word, then I got hungry. I got hungry. Let's go a little bit further in chapter 3. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. He's talking about attitudes, folks. He's not just talking about obedience. He's talking about our attitude toward the word. Our attitude toward the word should be we walk in love no matter how we feel or what happened. Because it's what the word says to do. My son, forget not my law, but let thine thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Most people consider length of days and long life to be the same thing. But if they were, he he wouldn't have mentioned them both. God will not only give you a long life on the earth, satisfy you with long life so that you see his salvation, but he'll stretch your time for you too. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not to to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. That means put the word first. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Both these words, chastening and correction, really has to do with instruction. He's not saying that God punishes us through sickness and disease or tragedy or anything like that. The Bible says God instructs us and corrects us with His Word. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as the Father, the Son in whom He delights. He takes some things for granted, apparently, because He mentions them so casually. Just as in chapter 1, He talked about don't be a part of the group that's greedy for gain, don't have wrong or bad associations. Trying to gain wealth. Here he tells you how to get wealth, and it's a very simple thing. He says, Honor God with the first fruits of your increase, and your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, compare that with what the Bible says in in, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, the things that he's talking about, wealth of the world and the provisions and so forth, all these things will be added to you. The way that he says it here is just very simple and straightforward. Honor the Lord with your increase, the first fruits of your increase. We could certainly say that that was the tithe, knowing God's attitude toward the tithe as identified in Malachi chapter 3 and in Leviticus as well. It's just a matter of fact. It won't be overnight. But if we honor God with our money instead of honoring ourselves with it, You'll never have a shortage of anything that you need. And he makes it and connects it with just simply trusting in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. He seems to be saying, yeah, I know what you're thinking. It doesn't make sense. How can you increase by giving to God? But wisdom says that's how it works because God's Word says it. In all your ways acknowledge him. I think this is one of the things that, uh, that many people don't recognize and don't realize. And for the most part, it's not that we don't know it. I think it's more of just a situation where people don't think it through. Here where it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. I don't know about you, but it seems like I'm growing into this more and more and more. There were a lot of things that I used to do just because I knew how to do them. But since some things here over the last several years that the Lord has talked to me about and really challenged me on, I try to get the Holy Ghost involved in even the details, the small details of stuff. And I found that he's honoring that. I realized that I wasn't acknowledging Him in all my paths. There were things, and, and it wasn't a wrong attitude. I wasn't trying to get away with anything. It's just that there were parts of my life that I was living separate from Him. Again, it wasn't an evil thing. It wasn't a matter of sin or transgression or anything like that. I just wasn't relying on the greater one on the inside of me in every respect of my life. But when I saw things like this, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. I've already knew that God won't intrude on you. If you don't ask him for help, he won't offer it. Brother Hagin used to talk about how the Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He won't force himself on you in any way. But I've made a lot more conscious effort to ask him for help and seek his help in just about everything literally everything that I think of there are times where I'm I just go on autopilot so to speak we just do the things that we're used to doing or whatever there was a long time ago after we first started the church I heard something on the radio heard brother Hagen on the radio and he was saying something I'd heard it before I was there when he preached the message that this thing was uh, was edited from but it made me start to think and I said to the Lord Lord you used to tell me what to do and show me what to do about the smallest things why don't you do that anymore and he answered real quickly he said because you don't ask me anymore he'll only get involved to the degree that we welcome him in He'll only get involved to the degree that we trust Him to honor His Word. I sure like it a lot better where He's directing all my paths. I've always trusted Him for the big ones, the big situations, the big decisions, the big events. But a God that's able to handle the big events wants to handle the small things too. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. We take the teaching on how to be led by the Spirit of God and we can make a 22-week sermon on that. But just very simply, Solomon said, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Folks, we have to make wisdom a priority in our lives. We have to make the wisdom of God something that we pursue if we're going to find it, that we search out in order to obtain it. And the benefits are incredible. We can live above this world's system. We can live beyond this world's system. We can live with the blessing of God on us, no matter whatever else is happening around us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. What a precious thing this book is. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. We thank you for the wisdom of God that Christ has made unto us. And we thank you for the availability to obtain wisdom in the middle of trouble. Specific wisdom about what to do and how to do it. So that we might see your deliverance in every area of our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in every possible way. Prompt us, reveal to us the things and the places in our lives that we've either not turned ourselves completely over to you or we're just simply not seeking your guidance because we're overlooking what's available to us. We thank you that you love us so much, Father, that you quicken your word to our hearts. You love us so much that you're always there waiting for us to rely on you. Because when we do, you are faithful to watch over your word and to bring it to pass just for us. Father, let us be like Solomon, who desire wisdom first and foremost. Knowing that you'll take care of the other things, you'll take care of our provisions. That as we honor you, you'll make sure that our barns are filled with plenty. Enough for ourselves and our own families so that we can help others. But most of all, Father, we thank you. For wanting to be involved in every aspect of our lives. We bless you, Father, for your mercy and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, don't forget our Sunday morning service this week. Last service before Christmas. Well, before Christmas Eve, I guess. And there won't be a Sunday night service. Because of the way the calendar is falling. Have a great week. If we don't see you between now and then. Have a great Christmas. And have a great new year.